Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Plotting Through the Presidents. I'm Howard Dory. And I'm Jessica Dory. And we're about to take another irreverent dive into some lesser-known stories about the early American presidents. This week, we're going to dig into two presidents we haven't talked about yet. Oh. Two famous fathers. George Washington, the father of his country, and James Madison, the father of the Constitution. Neither one of them had any biological children that we know of, but they both had stepsons named John, who were huge pains in their stepfather's collective asses. (laughs) To me, there's something really humanizing about seeing these men who were so professional in their public lives have to deal with something so extremely frustrating in their personal lives that they couldn't control. And something so down to earth, like fatherhood. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm going to take a break here to ask you a question. Oh, boy. What do you think is the deadliest animal in the world? Oh, gosh, it's got to be some kind of a spider or a snake in Australia. Some some Australian creature for sure. Or is it a stepson? (laughs) it is a blood-sucking creature much like the stepsons we're going to talk about today mosquito mosquitoes oh i think i knew that at one point and then had forgotten they kill maybe a million people a year by spreading disease oh wow i should have gotten that one right i'm frustrated with myself (laughs) i forgive you uh so mosquitoes have to forgive me nope Mosquitoes play an essential part in one of our stories today, and not just because the stepson in question is a blood-sucking menace. Oh, no. First, we're going to start with Martha Washington, though. Okay. Before she was the first first lady, she was Martha Dandridge, a fine young society girl. So she was educated in needlework and music and dancing and all the things that a woman was supposed to be educated in so that she could help maybe run a home, but mostly attract a rich man. All that lady training paid off. Because she, had, training. Yep, she attracted one of the most eligible bachelors in the state, Daniel Park Custis. So here are five numbers, okay, okay. to like kind of sum up cookie? their relationship. Sure. A, wa- a Washington fortune cookie. A pre-Washington fortune cookie. Pre-Washington fortune cookie with the lucky five. I'm yeah. ready. You ready? 20. Mm-hmm. That's how many years older Daniel was than Martha. 17,000. Wow. That's how much money... He had in his bank account. That's how many acres he owned. Oh, that's a lot of acres. That is four Griffith Parks. Oh my gosh. That is 500 Central Parks. Did he farm all of that? All the land? <laughs> that's where we come to the number 300. 300 slaves that he owned. Oh, that just got depressing. It always does. It? Yeah, it, it usually does, actually. Four. That's how many children they had. Mm-hmm. To get depressing, two is how many survived past early childhood. I guess that based on the expression on her face. Yeah. Little Jackie and his sister Patsy. Okay. And the final number is seven. Seven. 
years that they were married before Daniel died and left Martha with everything. Oh, God. Well, not quite everything. Because she was a woman and not really like a whole human in the eyes of the law. So a third of everything went to her and two thirds went to her four-year-old son, John Park Custis. Wow. Or Jackie. Mm -hmm. At four years old, Jackie became one of the richest people in the country. That's so lucky. Let me show you a picture of Jackie and his sister, Patsy. (laughs) This is kind of a terrifying portrait. Yeah, you could sense that this kid was trouble from an early age. Well, no one looks like that. I think it's the fault of the the artist in this in this case. I think I mean something's going on with his face. He looks like a baby cherub, but his eyes look kind of demon esque. Oh, that's how people look back then. And his little sister Patsy, there's something going on there too. His arm is stretched out toward his sister, and I can almost hear him saying, "I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you." (laughs) Um, By the way, you can see all the pictures I'm talking about in the show notes on PlottingThroughThePresidents.com. This picture and pictures from past episodes, like Monkey Man, Richard Cosway, and more. It was really exciting to see the show notes. You showed those to me um, recently, and it was a nice surprise to see that. Everyone else would be able to see the cinnamon roll hat on top of um, Rhea Cosway's head. Yeah, I'm glad that you finally made your way to the blog. (laughs) I thought I would one day. So Martha, now widowed, she was in the market for a new husband. Several men applied for the job. But a year and a half later, she selected the next most eligible bachelor in Virginia. Washington? George Washington. She just selected, like, I want you, and then went after him, huh? Well, a lot of men were kind of lining up at the door. This was a rich widow, and who wouldn't want a piece of that? And all those numbers of acres and land and everything else. 15,000 acres. So that all went to George Washington. And at this point, he was a famous war hero coming out of the French and Indian War. He just wanted to be a farmer. And now he was a super rich farmer. So he didn't have wealth before that. Well, he wasn't born rich like the rest of the Virginians. And this is important in understanding who he was as a stepfather and Mm -hmm. a person. Mm -hmm. So by birth, he was only like mid-level gentry, like upper middle class. Mm -hmm. He wasn't an aristocrat like the others. He didn't have a formal education. His own father died when he was young. But what George Washington did have was a ton of ambition. He read and he learned everything he could that he thought could be useful. He basically taught himself how to fit in with the aristocrats. And I think that that idea of being sort of an outsider who had to behave even better than the natural born aristocrats Mm -hmm. to prove that he belonged. I think that was a big part of his strong, silent, judicious persona that kind of Mm -hmm. defined him. So all of those traits are pretty much the exact opposite of Jackie Custis. This kid, little Jackie, was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Mm -hmm. In its mouth. Did I say its mouth? (laughs) He was human. He was a a male child of the human species. That picture doesn't look human. That picture looks off. And maybe the painter saw something and captured it perfectly. captured the possession. Uh, As Jackie got older, it became clear that he was allergic to the idea of learning anything on purpose. And that did not sit well with George Washington, who had had to try hard his whole life. So Jackie might not have been interested in learning, but because of his father and the inheritance, Washington had the money to pay for him to get a good education. And damn it, that kid was going to get it. So far away, probably. (laughs) Not that far away, about six miles away. Oh, that's not far at all. But removed. (laughs) He was out of Mount Vernon. He was out of the house. He was taken. And at 13, they sent him away to live with a full-time teacher and tutor. How can you expect, I mean, even if he's 
half devil. How can you expect a 13 year old to care so much about learning? I feel like at that age, it's pretty typical to be nonchalant about what you're learning. The pressure back then to to learn Greek and Latin, if you were a member of the upper class and you didn't have to do manual labor, you're expected to learn, you're expected to educate yourself in these things, and you're going to do it. And Jackie was like, "Mm, I don't really want to. So he was sent to live with the Reverend Jonathan Boucher. So Boucher had a few boys living with him in sort of a private homeschool situation in an arrangement that absolutely nobody would be okay with today. (laughs) I was going to say that sounds very um, Michael Jackson, not to be too controversial, but I mean, that sounds, yeah, that sounds inappropriate. Well, he was, um, he was an educated man. He was a tutor. He wasn't just a pop star with a ranch (laughs) full of carousels and monkeys. But it's always the tutors and the coaches and the... Yeah, back then, I don't know if they knew that. (laughs) No, no. So Reverend Boucher would give George Washington frequent like progress reports on the young kid's lack of progress. In one letter, he wrote that 13-year-old Jackie had gotten into an accident. Oh, no. He said, I would urge you and his mama to spare him rebukes as much as he certainly deserves them. So it sounds like whatever happened was Jackie's fault somehow. He did something naughty. Yeah, he did something naughty that got him hurt. He wrote, Jackie seemed to expect me to employ a doctor. But as he had met with the accident by his own indiscretion, and as I saw there was no danger, I thought it not amiss to indulge him. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Can you imagine if Emerson, our daughter, fell off a bookshelf or fell and just made a bad choice and really hurt herself? And we were like, no doctors for you. You made a bad choice. So therefore, you can bleed out. Yeah. Interesting decision. I would be questioning his supervision for sure. For sure. As a mother. Yeah. This kid hurt himself. He asked for a doctor and this guy basically said, it's your fault. You deserve it. You're not getting any medical attention. And I'm going to tell your parents you're a little crybaby. In another letter, Boucher wrote, probably ere long, you will find that Jackie has lost his watch and he deserves to be severely reprimanded for his carelessness. I have the watch. But do not care soon to put him out of pain. Oh, my gosh. This man was a tormentor. If he's I mean, if he's admitting to taking this little boy's watch and tormenting him with the loss of the watch. I mean, what else is he doing? If this is what he's admitting to. Yeah. I just find this person to be totally inappropriate. Yeah. He starts by saying probably ere long you'll find out. So he already knows. You know what? Jackie's going to tell what happened here. I better get ahead of it. So, yeah, totally. Who knows what else was going on? If he's going to steal their son's watch and tell him you should probably beat him. (laughs) Not exactly teacher of the year. No. But Jackie was probably no picnic either to educate. Eventually, the preacher-teacher Boucher sort of gave up on educating him. He wrote to Washington and said, I never did in my life know a youth so exceedingly indolent or so surprisingly voluptuous. One would suppose nature had intended him for some Asiatic prince. Sigh. There's just, again... This might be a thing of the times, but does that not sound inappropriate to you? I mean, words like voluptuous and yeah, so like I had a little to, prince. And I, I looked up the word voluptuous, and this is in before... In your Oxford English Dictionary? Yes. Okay. This is before it had like the boob meaning, like a curvy okay. lady. And it meant inclined towards sensual pleasure or luxury. Well, that's still inappropriate. Oh, yeah. It's, it's still a little sensual off. Sensual pleasure, period. Yeah. That's all I need to hear. Well, you could get sensual pleasure from like eating, you know. Can you? Your senses. 
I really guess, good food. Was sensual? Did you look up sensual after that? Because I want to know the root. Oh, I know the meaning of sensual. Uh, <laughs> I, I do too today, but I'm wondering: did sensual not have a sex component? Because, okay, continue. You know my thoughts. And then the part that hurts the most: Boucher wrote that Jackie does not much like books. So after two years with Boucher, Washington was getting frustrated with the lack of progress. He said Jackie's mind was more than ever turned to dogs, horses, and guns instead of books. He was 13. Yeah. Well, by now, I think he was 15. It just speaks to spoiled spoiled children, entitlement, you know. Yeah. How do you how do you break these kids of wanting to be interested in things and not book learning 24 <laughs> seven? Just don't know how to raise a child and make them appreciative and grateful. But at the same time, you know, keep them happy and healthy. It's Neither really, did George Washington. It's a really difficult balance. George Washington, I understand you. Yeah, I think this new biography of George Washington by Alexis Coe called You Never Forget Your First. Mm-hmm. She put it really well. She said, and I'm paraphrasing that George Washington gave Jackie Custis everything he could ever need except adversity. Hmm. Which I thought was really interesting because, yeah, Jackie never had to work for anything. Yeah. He didn't often feel natural consequences of things either, probably. Right. So Washington urged Boucher not to let Jackie spend the night with untrusted friends or allow him to be rambling about at nights in company with those who do not care how debauched and vicious his conduct may be. Oh. So maybe the boy couldn't be taught, but maybe, just maybe, Washington hoped they could contain him, at least. (laughs) Boucher talked about containing Jackie's passions with a disturbing fluid metaphor. Are you ready for this? Oh, I don't know. The word fluid and your facial expression together, I'm, I'm a little concerned, but go ahead. He wrote, I consider his rising passions as some little streamlet, swelling by successive showers into something like a torrent. You will in vain oppose its course by dams, banks, or mounds. And the only certain means to prevent its becoming mischievous is to lead it gently along by a variety of canals, lessening its force by dividing it. Oh my goodness. I have so many questions. Like, number one, did he write about all his students this way? I I don't know. Do we know of any of his other letters? Uh, I haven't looked into that, but I know that Washington's letters are much more readily available and Mm -hmm. important to history. (laughs) Okay, got it. But I got to think that Jackie Custis was a special case because of the way that Boucher talked about him. Also, I mean, he's quite a writer. Yeah, it sounds like he's putting his effort not into educating his wards, but in writing about them Describing and how bad they these are. these young, voluptuous boys. Yeah, so locking Jackie in the house, keeping him away from ne'er-do-wells, building dams, none of that could stop Jackie. You had to gently disperse his canals. Ew. Yep. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, the preacher teacher had a plan for how to do that. He said to Washington, hey, give me a lot more money. And let me take your son to Europe, just him and me. This will awaken the boy's thirst for knowledge. Okay, yeah. We're, we're continuing down the, you know, canal of inappropriateness here. I'm really grossed out. Thank you. George Washington may have found Jackie to be a huge source of frustration, but he wasn't about to send him off to Europe with a guy who reveled in seeing his stepson in pain, stole watches for fun. Washington said no. So Jackie still... Good for Washington. I mean, even back then, you'd think that he would have some inkling that this is not appropriate. I think maybe it was 50%, this doesn't feel right. And 50%, mm, I don't want to spend that money on Jackie <laughs> to go to Europe. I don't think Europe's going to help him. No. And he doesn't deserve Europe. Take me to Europe, preacher teacher. 
<laughs> George Washington <laughs> and the Reverend Boucher going to Europe. I don't know that that would have worked out because pretty no, soon. No, me. I'm talking about me. You want Reverend. It's not a good joke. Don't don't harp on it. Just move on. Jackie still living with the Reverend Boucher. He was 18 now. And now he was not Jackie anymore. He was Jackford. <laughs> he was Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Jackford Merriweather. <laughs> Jones. <laughs> Jackford Merriweather Jones. Yeah, that's it. It's <laughs> not it. Apparently, Boucher hadn't contained him enough because he somehow met a girl and got engaged when he was 18. Oh. Everyone agreed this was too young. Washington tried to convince him to go to college and then get married, but they couldn't stop the boy from breeding for too long. Ew. He dropped His a- canals were not they... sufficiently dispersed. No. No, and he found a Oh, don't go a there, lock. please. <laughs> no, don't even go there. He dropped out of college right away, and he quickly married Eleanor Calvert, and they had seven children by the time he was 26. Did they? Oh, my gosh. Did they all survive? Oh, no. No, I'm sorry. Four four survived. Oh, my gosh. It just was half of your children always died. Yeah. That was how it was. I mean, that's why you had to have so many. That's probably part of it. We are spoiled ourselves. Just the ability to have one and have them survive is amazing. Yeah. The one thing that Jackie had going for him was a ton of money. But his ignorance of how the world worked ended up jeopardizing that. Oh, did he lose all of it? Well, he bought a plantation nearby to Mount Vernon. But the terms of the sale were so outrageous that he ended up paying like compound interest over 24 years in, in this weird way that almost bankrupted him. This is the kind of thing that would happen to me. And it's very strange because I feel like I also have an ignorance when it comes to financing. If you went and made a deal like that and your father didn't know about it and then he found out, how do you think he would feel? He would He would just shake his head and I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. I think he would be really upset. Most likely. And George Washington was really upset, too. Because it's so preventable. When you have people around you who understand these things. I mean, at least I know I don't understand, so I reach out for help in understanding these things. Yeah, Jackie was like, this sounds good to me. Oh, what does this cost? Money? Oh, I have money. Yeah, it just sounds like he had very little insight about his own limitations. At every turn, Jack was finding new ways to frustrate his stepfather. So he wasn't applying himself at school back in the day. He dropped out of college to get married. He was making devastating business decisions. Then when he was 24, it's almost like he decided, what can I do to really frustrate my father and possibly even affect his legacy? He decided to go into politics. Oh, no. That's what fancy people do, right? (laughs) Probably using the popularity of his name and the relationship to Washington, he was elected to the Virginia House of Burgesses. Do you think he rose to the occasion and tapped into his hidden leadership potential? I don't think so. No. No, he did not. <laughs> George Washington wrote to him with some advice. I do not suppose that so young a senator as you are, so little versed in political disquisition, can yet have much influence in a popular assembly composed of various talents and different views. But it is in your power to be punctual in attendance. Oh, man. So he wasn't even showing up? That's all he had to do was show up. That's all he had to do. But he didn't even do that. Or at least he showed up late. And back then, I don't even think you had, like, reliable watches. So I don't know what late meant. Right. No, it sounds like he didn't show up to me. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. In 1781, the Revolutionary War was still going on. And Washington was pretty busy heading that whole thing up. Jack Custis heard that there were going to be a lot of fancy French soldiers hobnobbing at Yorktown. So he decided he would become his stepfather's aide-de-camp. He was going to join the military effort. He sounds so lost. I'm starting to feel really bad for him. 
Yeah. He sounds very lost. He's still married at this point. He's married. He's a father. He seemed like he was actually a pretty good father to his brood. Um, but I don't think he really has much of a profession. So Yorktown was where the Revolutionary War was won. So it was almost over when Jack got camp fever, which may have been dysentery or epidemic typhus. It was spread by, any guesses? Mosquitoes? Nope, I'm sorry, body lice. Oh. Yeah, a different yeah, blood-sucking really, pest. I thought you were setting me up for success there, and then you kicked me down. Welcome to our marriage. <laughs> so Jack got very sick, and then just after Cornwallis surrendered and the war was effectively over, Jack Custis died at 26 years old. Oh, that's an odd twist. Yeah. That's really sad. 26. Yeah. Washington had just won the Revolutionary War, and that was an, an impossible feat that changed the world. The world turned upside down, but he couldn't fully enjoy it. He was grief-stricken and even more worried about Martha. So even in death, Jackie Custis had found a way to reign on Washington's parade. Oh, it's really sad. He may not have been the best stepson, but he always acknowledged how good of a stepfather Washington was. Jack had written to George Washington in 1776, I am at a loss for words sufficiently expressive to return you thanks for your paternal care, which on all occasions you have shown for me. He talked about how even though his real father had died when he was young, he said, Few have experienced such care and attention from real parents as I have done. He best deserves the name of father who acts the part of one. Oh. I mean, first you painted him as this dick, you know, who was ignorant and... You know, didn't want to learn and was throwing his his name around. And now you're painting him as someone who's grateful for the parenthood that Washington gave him and acknowledging that sperm doesn't make a father, but fathering someone makes a father. And now I really love him and I don't want him to die. I'm sorry. History isn't black and white. <laughs> People can be complicated, but not our next stepson. Oh, he's not so complicated. He's a much bigger pain. Oh, much bigger. Yeah. Okay. HistoryCon is coming to the Pasadena Convention Center from April 3rd through 5th. Join us for this fun-filled event where you can meet the stars from your favorite history shows and hear from historians, authors, experts, and more. See Dan Carlin, H.W. Brands, Bettany Hughes, T.J. Styles, and others as they discuss topics ranging from the U.S. presidency and ancient Rome to the men who built America and beyond. So it's only in Pasadena, so we are planning on going. We're especially excited about the panel Inside the White House, America's First Families. And I'm personally really excited to learn about the First Ladies and their children. Yeah, we're excited to be there. I think we're going to be there on Sunday, April 5th. Uh, if you're going to be there too, shout out on Twitter at Plod with me, and maybe you'll have a chance to see uh, just how awkward I am in person. <laughs> I already know how awkward you are in person. Discover and experience history at HistoryCon. For tickets, go to www.historycon.com. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. 
I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. So Jack Custis had died of camp fever in 1781. Now we're going to move forward 12 years to 1793 and another much deadlier disease, the yellow fever outbreak of 1793 in Philadelphia. It was absolutely devastating. It killed around 10% of the city's population. Wow. In episode one, we talked about smallpox, Mm -hmm. and I gave you a beautifully detailed description of what that does to your body. Yeah, that was lovely. Yeah. Yeah, Your least favorite part is the bells. I do (laughs) recall that, all that descriptive talk of what smallpox does to your body, but the worst parts for who the bell tolls. I just hate bells. (laughs) Some listeners uh, told me that they had the pleasure of hearing that part while they were eating. Oh, really? And I just like to say, you're welcome. (laughs) So I'm not going to break down yellow fever in as much detail. Why not? I'll tell you that its symptoms include fun things like headaches, fever, vomiting, coldness, clamminess, turning yellow, and death. Okay. Yeah. So you did break it down. Thank you. A little bit. (laughs) There was no real treatment for it because they didn't know what caused it. Dr. Benjamin Rush, who famously wanted to treat every ailment with copious bleeding, Mm -hmm. he thought the outbreak was caused by some damaged coffee, which putrefied on the wharf. This was medicine back then coffee that putrefied on the wharf yeah we already know that that's not how yellow fever is passed that's not do you know how it's really spread mosquitoes yes (laughs) mosquitoes that's where they come into play i knew there'd be a right answer in there somewhere (laughs) i mean if you answer mosquitoes every time you know that trick on a test right you just answer the same one every time you're bound to get at least a few right okay i never tried that tactic (laughs) only try it when you don't know the answer just answer mosquitoes for every question for every question you're welcome So they didn't realize that it was mosquitoes and thousands of people died. One woman who survived was the strong, vivacious Dolly Payne, but she lost her husband and one of her sons to the epidemic on the same day. Oh. Yeah. She was left a widow with one remaining son, John Payne Todd. They called him Payne, which is fitting. (laughs) Because he was the one who was a pain in the ass. Yeah. After Dolly's husband died, she chose the smartest man she knew to be Payne's guardian. Any guesses? Madison. Aaron Burr. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. It was I mosquitoes. I should have answered mosquitoes. <laughs> so Burr didn't really fulfill that guardian role in any meaningful way, but he did introduce Dolly to James Madison. Okay. Madison was a... Fort- was he waiting for it? And he thought, oh, never mind. Yeah. And he was in the room where Madison happened. <laughs> he Was he? He introduced Madison to Dolly. Okay, so he was in the room. Yeah. I don't know if he stayed in the room for long. (laughs) I don't know if he was there the whole time. So Madison was a 43-year-old bachelor, congressman, 
He played a huge role in the Constitution, and he perfectly complimented Dolly because Dolly was made of woo. She was exciting. She was vivacious. And he was just a shriveled up little humbug. A year after his father died, Madison became Payne Todd's stepfather. Payne called him Papa, and he was the only child Madison would ever have. So Payne took a very different path than Jackie Custis, a path that Jackie almost took. So you know how George Washington was dead set against Jackie going to Europe? Madison was all about sending Payne to Europe. With preacher teacher? Not with preacher teacher. Uh, when Madison was pregnant... Uh, <laughs> Madison was pregnant? When Madison... thought he didn't have any children. <laughs> the birth was real messy. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> when Madison was president, he appointed 21-year-old Payne to join a peace commission to Europe. He thought, hey, the kid can buy us some nice art, and it'll teach him responsibility. And he might even learn something from his senior commissioner, John Quincy Adams. Oh, there was a lot to learn from John Quincy. Yeah, the plan failed miserably. Oh, no. John Quincy Adams, he was like a depressed machine that just devoured books and knowledge and shat out diplomacy. Mm -hmm. John Payne Todd just got drunk all the time, gambled, and spent money. And how old was John Payne at the time of his 21. Okay. That seems like every 21-year-old I know. Yeah. John Quincy Adams wrote that Payne had an irresistible tendency toward dissipation and a moral incapacity for industry and application. Oh, no. Yeah, in two years in Europe... What's wrong with these kids? Payne accumulated $8,000 in debt, which in today's money is over $100,000. Oh, wow. But it seems like these people who are born into these political families and with this wealth, they just don't have any sense of managing money. Yeah, I think that the Virginians, in a lot of ways, their whole economy was based on slavery. There was a lot of debt. There wasn't a lot of cash at hand. Yeah, I I think that learning how to balance a budget in those days, in that place, I I don't know how anybody did it. Well, some people were smarter about it than others. Yeah. Payne came back to the U.S. eventually, and he just dug into his newfound love of debauchery, drinking, gambling. Uh, He was apparently jailed multiple times for drunken shooting incidents where he disturbed the peace. I couldn't find any more details on this. I know that Thomas Jefferson at one point uh, gave him some pistols as a gift. And I know Jefferson and James Madison were BFFs, so I got to wonder, like, maybe Jefferson thought, let's give him some guns and see if the problem takes care of itself. (laughs) Payne never settled down. He never had any kids of his own. He never really chose a profession. He was said to be a womanizer, and he probably went wenching, which I've always thought is a great word. It's just so concise. (laughs) He wrote about his sexual encounters and code in his diary, which is a pretty normal thing to do, right? Right. I'm still on wenching. Sorry. I'm just, you know, when you turn a noun into, you know, a verb like that, it's just always, it is very precise. Right. Even though he wasn't the biggest fan of books, we know that he read a book about venereal diseases. Mm. I'm just picturing that library meeting like, uh, excuse me, do you have any books on why it burns when I pee? (laughs) (laughs) The worst part for James Madison in all of this is how much Payne's behavior affected Dolly. Payne would go missing for months at a time and just never respond to their letters. Oh. So Dolly, she was... probably drunk. If only... Dolly was normally like this big social butterfly, like nobody else. Mm -hmm. But she would fall into a depression and wouldn't want to leave the house, understandably, when this would happen. I totally get her. Yeah. In 1825, James Madison wrote a letter to Payne that started with, What shall I say to you? It is painful to utter reproaches, yet how can they be avoided? Your last letter to your mother made us confident that we should see you in a few days. 
Weeks have passed without even a line explaining the disappointment or soothing the anxieties of the tenderest of mothers, wound up to the highest pitch by this addition to your long and mysterious absence. Mm. Whatever be the causes of it, you owe it to yourself as well as to us to withhold them no longer. Let the worst be known that the best may be made of it. I wish not to dwell on the subject, but I must not conclude without imploring and conjuring you to hasten to the embraces of your parents and to put an end to the uncertainties which afflict them, giving immediate assurance that you will do so by a line to your mother by the first mail after this gets to hand. You cannot be too quick in affording some relief to her present feelings. Gosh. Yeah, he's saying your mother is worried sick, so write back, you little shit. Yeah, that's what he's saying. And I just totally empathize with Dolly. Yeah. It just she's she was a social butterfly, the wooer, and then these deep bouts of depression from her child's actions. Yeah, something she couldn't control. <laughs> yeah, something she couldn't control. Are you trying to tell me something? Um, <laughs> no, I wasn't thinking of anything applicable to us. When Payne would go missing, it wasn't usually a mystery where he was. Most of the time, he'd been thrown into debtor's prison. I mean, did they check the prison first before they... Well, they would usually find out. So debtor's prisons, these practices were basically mostly outlawed in 1833 for private debts. So when you go there, you're not like going to debtor's prison to work off your debt. You stay there until you can pay the debt. And you also have to pay for the prison boarding you. How are you supposed to get the money and pay when you're in prison? (laughs) You have to rely on family or friends to somehow come up with the money. Or the hope is that you'll eventually give up the money that you were withholding. So he'd basically stay in prison until Madison could come up with the money to get him out of there. Uh, James Madison had to mortgage land, sell land, sell slaves. James tried to hide the worst of this from Dolly, but she pretty much knew. He ended up paying a total of $40,000 of Payne's debts off. Wow. That's almost a million dollars today. Oh, that's, that's an insane amount. That's crazy. When James Madison died in 1836, Payne moved back to the area and he bought an estate near his mother to comfort her, supposedly. Mm -hmm. But really, he was there to loot Montpelier for anything he could sell, including some priceless papers of James Madison's related to the Constitutional Convention. Oh, wow. And this was all for gambling? I don't know if it was just to support his habits, probably drinking, gambling, who knows, all Mm -hmm. his vices. Mm -hmm. It just sounds like he was addicted. I yeah. mean, he was addicted. It sounds like addict behavior. Totally. He was put in charge of selling those papers to Congress. And James Madison had worked really hard to put these papers together for his family. This was supposed to be what they eventually sold to Congress and lived off on after he died. Uh, so who knows what pain may have left out from that sale. There could be papers out there in private collections because this guy sold them to support his lifestyle. Hmm. A family friend said Payne was to Montpelier what the serpent was to the Garden of Eden. Oh. So villainized. Yeah. Then he got involved in some 19th century get-rich-quick schemes, like raising silkworms. That didn't work out. No, I can't imagine. He turned his estate into a marble quarry, which, after a lot of very expensive digging, also did not work out because there was no marble. What? And then he built random buildings on his property, including a big round tower he called the ballroom. It just seems like these decisions are not founded at all. So it just... It seems like he was not well. Yeah, he's making very rash, uneducated, unthoughtful decisions. Yeah. He racked up so much debt that Dolly Madison had to sell Montpelier. She had to rely on her niece and the kindness of others for support in her later years. Poor Dolly, this poor woman. Yeah, her whole life kind of plagued by worrying about the son. This one child of theirs. So when Dolly died in 1849, she left half of her estate to Payne 
and the other half to her devoted niece, Anna, who'd taken care of her. Payne sued to get all of it, but he lost. Good. But even after his parents died, he was still a financial drain on them. I can't believe that. Yeah. I can't believe they left him any money. I mean... She loved him. She always, course. always You're loved enable him. Enable your child. Yeah, guess, but that's that's the key word, I think. Yeah. After Dolly died, he just got worse. In journals, he wrote depressingly insightful stuff like getting inebriated somewhat to cure indisposition, and I seemed sick for the want of alcohol, or simply drank whiskey all day. Mm. He's reported to have said on his deathbed in 1852, "I have never willfully injured anyone but myself." I have been my own worst enemy. But willfully or not, he took quite a toll on his parents. Yeah. Oh, and poor Dolly. It just seems like you always wrap up these stories with some insight and some, now I feel bad for him. <laughs> you know, I really didn't like him first. And now again, I feel very bad for him. It sounds like he had an alcohol addiction even before his mother died. It's possible. Yeah. I mean, it's like I said, all of that just seems like addict behavior. And I'm saddened. Who do you think was the better stepfather in these situations? Hmm. I don't really understand Madison's fathering role with pain much at all. To besides me, backing up Dolly. Yeah, to me, it comes down to two decisions. One, sending the boy to Europe, which probably didn't help at all. I mean, he thought right. that it would, but it turned out just to expose him to new ways that he could so, spend his I mean, money. That's really the only difference I see is one cent their son to preacher teacher and then not to Europe and the other didn't have a preacher teacher but then sent him off to Europe I think the other Quincy. one that's one of the big decisions what was another big decision that they made as fathers that differed well I think it was a decision that went on throughout Payne's life and that was for Madison to enable his bad behavior by just paying off his debts mm-hmm. over and over and over again and then Dolly would do that later after James died right but Jackie didn't have debts did he no he had a lot more money so that's the other thing It's like a sliding doors type of thing. Like Mm -hmm. you can kind of compare what happens if one goes to Europe and the other one doesn't. What happens if one has a ton of money and the other one Mm -hmm. doesn't? So who knows if Payne had had the kind of money that Jackie Custis had, Mm -hmm. maybe he would have kept out of debtor's prison Mm -hmm. and just been an eccentric. Right. Well, to me, it does sound like Washington made better decisions and maybe knew his son better. Um, knew that Europe would not be a good use of his time. Why he trusted preacher teacher at all, I can't agree with that decision. But Washington seemed to have kind of a leadership role as a father. But I don't know, Madison, like you said, just there was a lot of enabling. Although the letter he wrote to his son to relieve his mother's grief and worry was moving. Um, yeah, it, it wasn't for lack of trying. Yeah, he he tried to bring like pain home and back into the fold. It just sounded very desperate. Yeah. Very desperate for him to be not only okay, but to. And over the next six months, he wrote two more letters just like that. Yeah. It's more like a begging, though. And it's very sad. Whereas Washington, it seemed more, he seemed more director, like he helped direct him. But um, Jackie seemed to try to be applying himself at least. It didn't seem like Jackie had an addiction. Right. I think that that could also be the key thing. It could be somewhat biological. Payne's possible predisposition to alcoholism or addiction Mm -hmm. could have made all the difference there. And maybe Jackie didn't have that. Right. And honestly, you know, I would say Washington's the better father, but it's easier to look like a better father when your child's not an addict. Right. (laughs) So... Um, And maybe they got lucky by Jackie falling in love and getting married at a young age because that really kind of anchored him and gave him something to to put himself into Mm -hmm. and to live for and 
And there were joys surrounding him. Yeah, um, absolutely. Payne never really had that. He never settled down in one place. He moved from city to city. It didn't seem like he tried to apply himself in many areas except for trying to spend money and yeah. gambling and drinking. So I think unfairly, it makes Jackie's parents look better. And that might be unfair, though. But I do think Washington sounds like the, the way I would go. Yeah. Who wouldn't want Washington as a father? <laughs> By all accounts, he was a great grandfather, stepfather. Yeah. I mean, that makes good people. He had a lot of integrity. So I think he was just trying to guide Jackie in that direction. I think I would have to go with Washington as well. I could tell. Yeah. If I had to choose a stepson, I would probably choose Jackie too. Yeah. I mean, it just sounds like a better situation. Yeah. Not wanting to learn and not wanting to read is a little bit of an easier problem than a child who's an addict. For sure. Yeah. So there's that. So that is the tale of two stepsons. Pain. Pain. Their names, man. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So time to write some wrongs. A few corrections from past episodes. Um, You're writing wrongs already? At one point you said Skid Row <laughs> instead of Death Row. I, I remember that when I listened to it back. Yeah, we're not going to dig into that. We're it just it dig- happened. It, we're not digging into Skid Row. It um, was Death Row, not Skid Row. Yes. I said that Every Rose Has Its Thorn was by Guns N' Roses no, when really true. it's by Poison. And my apologies <laughs> to Poison singer Axel Gunn for the confusion. <laughs> Any other corrections? That's all I can think of. No more wrongs to right. I'm sure we'll make some. I'm sure we will too. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, write a review, and help spread the word. You can reach out on our Facebook page and get more information at plottingthroughthepresidents.com. Thank you for plotting along. Thank you. What's wrong with these kids?